It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's lunchtime on the shingle at Dungeness in Kent and the fourth and fifth boats are now being escorted in by the RNLI. Back on the 24th of November 2021, I was down on the coast of Kent on Dungeness. I was there to report on small boats arriving and it was an extremely cold day. The waves were pretty noisy and the weather was never, I don't think it ever got above three, four, five degrees. And on that day we saw about 600 people arrive in small boats onto Dungeness Peninsula alone. It's a very flat, bleak stretch of coastline and the people who've arrived stand wrapped in blankets or shawls while their possessions are taken from them and processed in plastic bags. It was a very desperate situation with a lot of people arriving from boats that were falling apart in rescuers' hands, huddling on the beach, waiting for someone to take them to a processing centre. And what we didn't really know at that point was that out at sea, one of those boats was in trouble. At about halfway through the afternoon, we found out that a boat had sunk. We thought maybe there'd been two or three people dead was the initial belief. But then that evening, we found out that it was the worst disaster so far to strike the small boats crossings. The final toll would be 27 people. One of those people was a young man called Zanya, Zanya Mustafa Mina Nebi. And he was coming here with his brother to try and find a better life. But ultimately, he never got the life he wanted in the UK. In the 18 months since Zanya Mustafa Mina Nebi drowned on that boat, Emma Yeomans and a team of reporters have been looking into the murky world of people smuggling. Emma's been investigating how untraceable middlemen facilitate payments between the smugglers and the smuggled, and how an ancient banking system allows this whole industry to flourish in the shadows. All while here in Britain, the question of how to stop small boats and channel crossings continues to dominate politics. We will pass new laws to stop small boats, making sure that if you come to this country illegally, you are detained and swiftly removed. 
even if this bill succeeded in temporarily stopping the boats, and I don't think it will, it won't stop conflict or climate migration. While the debate in Parliament continues, the boat crossings do too. But how are the smugglers able to move people across the channel? How is it all funded? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, the underground bankers funding people smugglers. I'm Emma Yeomans. I'm one of the news reporters at The Times. I cover a really wide range of topics, but I take a particular interest in migration issues. And that day, 18 months ago, when you're standing there in the cold by the sea, watching hundreds of people make it to Britain, but also knowing that disaster is unfolding out at sea. How did that lead to the investigation you've been doing? So after that day, I really wanted to find out more about the smugglers and who's putting people in these rickety boats. We were also really interested in how people on the move manage their money for these journeys, knowing that, as I've been told that day on the beach, it's extremely expensive to cross the English Channel. We wanted to find out how do people avoid being scammed and robbed? How do they fund their journeys? How do they arrange payment to these smugglers? And and that's how we came to the Havala system. Emma, you find out that the smuggling is being enabled by this Havala system. Just tell us, what exactly is it and how does it work? It's very, very ancient. You can date it all the way back to the Silk Road. And it's most popular in the Middle East and in diaspora communities. It basically works through balanced debt. So you'll have a, a broker, a Havala in one country who'll have a counterpart in another country, they'll know one another. And if I deposit maybe £50 at a Havala broker in Britain with the aim of sending it to my friend in France, I then ring up my friend, we agree on a little password, I tell my friend where to collect the money. Separately, the broker in England rings up his friend in France, tells him the password, says Emma's friend is going to come and collect £50, and they go ahead and collect the money. And what's striking there is that nothing has actually been transferred. The £50 in cash is still in Britain with my broker. So if the money hasn't left, how does your friend in France get £50? It's really simple. The Havala broker in France and England, they just owe each other money. So in this case, the broker in France will take some of their store of money and give it out to my friend. And the British broker will now owe £50 to the French guy. They'll just keep a note of who owes what to whom. And then later on, if someone in France wants to send money in the opposite direction, the two debts balance each other out. I see. So the money never really leaves. Who uses this system? Why is it so so popular? It's really useful for communities where access to banking is patchy. In some parts of the world, for example, where a lot of people do live without any access to formal banking, Havala still works because there's no need to have a bank account. It's also useful for sending money internationally with different exchange fees. Havaladas will often take 
a small proportion as a fee, but it's very variable and often more affordable. Hmm. So it's a very clever way of moving money around without really leaving any trace because there's no electronic record of a transfer. It can be as simple as a little token, a receipt, or even just a spoken password. By virtue of being untraceable, it does have a degree of popularity with criminals. In the past, it's been known to be used by terrorist financing. And when you talk to law enforcement about it, they are aware and they will bring up that it's used for money laundering, for paying for smuggling journeys, so many applications. But they were also very keen to stress to us that the vast majority is very legitimate, normally people sending money to their families. I mean, given that, I take it it is legal, even though it's used by terrorists and criminals. (laughs) That is a very good question, and the answer depends where you are in the world. Ah. In Britain, it is legal if you register as an authorised money transfer provider. And that means you have to keep a register of who your customers are, you have to do your due diligence, you have to do some anti-money laundering work. Not all Havaladas will bother registering, and those who don't are acting illegally. They could be charged under money laundering laws. Right. In other countries, for example, in Turkey, it's entirely illegal. So it really varies hugely around the world. Emma... Earlier, you were telling us about the story of Zanya, who was trying to come to Britain when he drowned along the way. Tell us a little bit more about him. Tell us a bit about his background and his story. We spoke with Zania's father, Mustafa. This was one of my colleagues on the investigation, a reporter called Andres from Turkey. So he was born on uh, January 12th, 2001. So Zania comes from a small village in Iraq, a village where migration to Europe and particularly to the UK is quite common. His older brother, Halbir, went with him to Turkey when he left and on to the UK but they went through different routes and at slightly different times. He never graduated high school because he just felt very despondent about his life in Iraq. That was what motivated him in the end to leave. You know, like uh, studying is useless because he, you know, as we know in our country, there are so many that who graduates and uh, can't find jobs. His father told us a lot about why so many people in their area leave. Before ISIS, it was very good. He liked it there. They were very happy. They were quite wealthy. He had lands, he had a car, he had a house, all of which was sold in the end to both to fund the family and also to fund his two children leaving. They describe a pretty dire economic situation after the conflict with ISIS. So it affected everything, like uh, the pricing of houses, the pricing of land and the salaries of of, of people. We used to get salaries like uh, once every uh, three months. So the family were really struggling financially. They were very frightened of future conflict. They were very frightened of the political situation in the Kurdistan region. And for his sons, it felt like there was very little hope for their home. Given the state of Iraq at the time, Zanya was desperate to leave and was desperate to, to come to the UK. He was going to have to do that via people smugglers. How did he go about doing that? 
So the family started by sending both their sons to Turkey. Mustafa says, I told my son to go to Turkey and find a good smuggler who will guarantee your life. This is quite a common sentiment. It's so important to find someone you can trust. And that's really where the Havala brokers come in. In a lot of cases, it's actually quite a sophisticated system where these brokers will act almost like a travel agency. Some of them even call themselves travel agencies, actually, where they will have built up relationships with smugglers who they think they can trust. And they will almost act as middlemen, putting would-be clients for the smugglers in touch with the smugglers themselves. That's how Mustafa and his sons did it in the end, in their town, Sangasar. They found someone there who would support the financial side, who would handle all of the payments to the smugglers. And this acted as an insurance for them as a family, because they may not like or trust the smuggler that much, but they know that the smuggler will not get his money. The broker will not pass that cash on or make that transfer until Zanya had reached his destinations. That's so interesting. And how, how does that work out? So this insurance policy, this sense that the smuggler doesn't get paid until Zanyar gets to each place, does he get paid per stage or does it all happen at the end? In Zanyar's case, it was stage by stage. That's because he worked with a number of different smugglers for different points on his journey. That's quite common, actually. All Zanyar would have to do was text his father, normally with a little WhatsApp location pin, which again, we found was quite common and say, I I made it, I'm safely here. So this is the father going and paying, making these payments to the Havala brokers in the the middle. And then they, they only get passed on when his son texts him to say, I'm here. Exactly. And presumably the Havalada, the broker, gets a cut. Yes, yes. We don't know exactly how much that is we encountered. It was anything between 4 and 15%. So if I'm a smuggler in France and I've managed to get Zanya to France safely, at that point, Mustafa and Zanya's Havalada would pay me the cash for that leg of the journey. This whole system basically ensures that the smugglers do get paid when they've done their job. I mean, looking at that from afar, you know, it does look like this entire system is entirely based on trust. I mean, how do they make sure that that trust is protected? It was one of the first things that struck us as a group of reporters working on this, was how does that get maintained? How does a Havalada build that trust in the first place? The answer in a lot of cases is that they're a well-known community figure. So in Mustafa and Zanya's case, the broker they used was someone senior and well-known in their local community. Everyone would have known him. They would have all used him, or the majority of people would have worked with him at least once or twice with other financial affairs. So to screw over one person is to jeopardise his entire business as a Havala broker. And that's a running theme. So he's saying uh, over here, it's uh, especially in this area, it's a tribal thing and he won't uh, ruin his uh, repetition. They won't betray someone else. They only operate on trust and the moment that's broken, they lose all of their business. So it's a fairly short-term gain if you were to break someone's trust on that. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen, though. We did hear about cases in which Havaladas had taken the money and run or not transferred it properly, but it was exceptionally uncommon and it was very rare to find anyone who didn't trust them. That's remarkable. 
Because it's a lot of trust and it is an insurance policy for the family to make sure that the smugglers do what they're promising they will. In terms of legality, I mean, I know we've said that this system of payments is legal in this country. Is what they're doing there, though, using it to pay smugglers, is that entirely legal? No, it isn't. It isn't. And the NCA, the National Crime Agency, are and have been investigating specific Havala brokers for this. It's illegal under under two grounds. Firstly, the brokers who do this within the UK, which are rare, most of them are not based in the UK, but there are some. The brokers who do it are tending not to be registered, which means that their whole business model is, is legally just money laundering. They also face charges in some cases for facilitating illegal immigration. The NCA described it quite bluntly as a criminal escrow. They do see it very, very directly as making smuggling possible. But also, I think in that there's a recognition that it's it makes it safer for migrants and that this is quite an important insurance system for migrants. Coming up. Should the authorities be cracking down on Havala? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Using Havala to pay for his journey, Zanyar made his way across Europe from Kurdistan in northern Iraq. Uh, 23rd, 9th, uh, he was in Turkey. So he left his home in September 2021, flew to Turkey. They went to Turkey with a visa. From there, he went on to Bulgaria, but was caught and sent back. It's quite common along that border. And at that point, a smuggler took him to Italy. This was arranged through his father. They took him to Italy by boat. Um, He then made his way up again with the help of smugglers to Calais by plane and train. And that's when he settled with some friends into the camp. What happens when he gets to France? 
In France, he spent around 39 days in the camps in Calais, which is quite a long time to be somewhere that cold and that lacking in resources. And at this point, we understand that there was a fair bit of pressure on him. And this is very common, actually, that the smugglers know they're not going to get paid until their charge reaches the other side of the channel. So they do put more pressure on people to get into the boats even if the sea looks bad or the boat looks really, really rickety that day. He was unlucky, you know. He tried to, to, to go go with a couple of groups. Was, the trip was getting cancelled or, you know, it, it was a lot of things. That's why he was unlucky. It, it, it didn't happen. He made multiple attempts to cross we don't know exactly why they failed, but we do know that they were made. His father said, I uh, put 2,500 uh, in uh, exchange office so he can cross, but it didn't happen. So obviously he got the money back. Mm. He got the money back because they didn't make the crossing. Then, on the 24th of November, 2021, Zanya, along with 29 others, boarded an inflatable dinghy and set off across the channel. It's five o'clock. I'm John Pienaar. This is Times Radio Drive. The headlines, several migrants have drowned while trying to cross the channel in an inflatable dinghy. Emma Yeomans is covering the story for The Times. Having seen some of these boats come ashore today... And for Mustafa, like every other attempt, he would have been waiting for the text from his son to say, I've made it or it got cancelled today. At what point did he realise that something had gone horribly wrong? He was quite open with us about this part of his story. He was furious, Mustafa was, with the smuggler. The smuggler, who was also a friend of his or a friend of his cousin, so they had that relationship and he was very upset that it took so long for the smuggler to admit that anything went wrong. He was in contact and he was asking, there's an incident happened, is it, is it the one that my son is on? And he was saying, no, it's not. It's a different one. I have no information. So he was really careless uh, about doing his job. Zanyar didn't have a phone with him at this point. He was relying on his friend's phones. So Mustafa had no way of contacting him to check that all was okay. But it was, I think, 10 to 12 hours after the boat went down that... The smuggler finally got in touch with Mustafa and said, something's gone wrong. He really kept it quiet and they were not dead until maybe after 10 to 12 hours they were in the water till they, uh, you know, first to, to, to death. Yeah, if he, if he did something, called us, warned some other people, maybe we would have done something, but it's his fault. The fault is on him. On the smuggler. Oh, the smuggler, yeah, the, the Bashdar guy. Emma, a horrifying case like that really does bring home, you know, the dangers of smuggling and why it's such a concern for the authorities. At the moment... Havala itself as a system is legal in Britain. There are question marks about how it's being used for within this context of smuggling. Are there any moves by 
the authorities here to criminalise any part of it or to try and crack down on the people who are involved? Because it is possible to do it legally and regulated in this country, I think it's very unlikely we'll see any moves to change that status. It's just too useful. Even law enforcement, while they were telling us about cases they were aware of, where it was being used for migration, where it was facilitating smuggling, they were also stressing to us that the vast majority of transfers are perfectly legitimate. Normally, people trying to send a bit of money home to help their families. So I think it's highly unlikely we see a change to its legal status in the UK. That said, there are countries where it's more or less regulated. And I'm sure law enforcement would welcome a more coherent global regulation of it so that there are registers of transfers. We do know who's using it and that a transfer, once it's made, isn't essentially invisible. And Emma, you've been looking at migration for months now. It's a subject you're covering in real depth. It is also one of the big subjects on the British political agenda. An answer. Because the reality is, Mr Deputy Speaker, those arguing for open borders via unlimited, safe and legal routes are, of course, they are, of course, entitled to do so. But they should do so honestly. They shouldn't try to deceive the public, Mr Deputy Speaker, by dressing up what is an extreme political argument in the fake garb of humanitarianism. Nor, Mr Deputy Speaker, nor should they pretend that the UK doesn't have global safe and legal routes. In recent years, our country-specific routes... Policymakers are constantly trying to work out what to do about small boats making the crossings. From what you've seen, would this be an effective arena for policymaking? Is this something that they should be looking at, the money transfers and the way they enable smugglers to do what they do? I don't think so. Transfers like this are not a cause of migration to the UK. They're an effect. They have grown out of, as a system, as a system it has grown out of the lack of safe routes, the extreme risks that migrants face on their journey from violence, from being swindled. All of that comes really down to the fact that people want to come here and they don't know how. And then a sort of ecosystem builds up to try and make that a bit safer. I think legislating against Havala and legislating against its use here would not change a single journey other than making those journeys unsafe. People would just come and they would have no way to know whether they're throwing all their money away or whether they're going to make it across the channel. And does this very discreet system of payments, the way you can't really trace it, does it explain just the complexity of the issue. When we talk about trying to stop the boats, there is this entire network behind it which makes it very hard to do. It really does. And the sheer variety, even within this specific part of the system, Zanya and a lot of young men like him work closely with one broker back in their hometown who works with the smugglers, but that's not the case for everyone. We even spoke to one guy who deposited the money for his crossing simply at a corner shop in Paris. How do you crack down on a system that large and that informal? It's a big grey area of financing and I don't know how, without accurate records of transactions, I don't know how it can really be policed more than it is. And going back to the case of Zanyar, does his father, does Mustafa now blame 
the man they trusted with their money, the broker, the Havaladar, does he blame him for what happened to his son? No. No, he doesn't. He still trusts and likes and knows in person the broker. He blames the smuggler. He was furious with the smuggler, still is, and took the smuggler's details to the police, handed him in, has done everything he can to get justice for his son from the smugglers, but he will not ever, as far as we know, betray the broker. There's that much respect for the broker and for the system. He believes firmly that the broker would not ruin his reputation by doing anything to hurt a migrant. That's one of the reasons why ultimately the broker refunded the family for Zanya's journey. He told us quite firmly, the smugglers trust the money exchange, but we trust it too. Zanya Mustafa Mina Navy was 20 years old. His body was found at sea. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, news reporter at The Times, Emma Yeomans. You can find all of Emma's work, including the full piece about this investigation, online at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. The producer today was Sam Chantarasak, with production assistance from Max Kendix. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.